We're living in difficult times. Equilibria believes that now, more than ever, their products can provide support and balance for women in need. That mission is at the core of everything they do. At Equilibria, CBD isn't hype, it's health. Designed with modern women in mind, EQ takes all the guesswork out of CBD. After you've made a purchase, simply schedule a consultation with one of their trained dosage specialists and they'll get you on the path towards balance. Their assortment of premium products arrive at your doorstep in swoon-worthy packaging. Whether it's daily soft gels you seek, balancing bath bombs, or a mindful mineral soak, your order is tailored to help your specific needs and can be purchased on subscription for trouble-free restocking. Curious? Use code OFFTHEGRAM for 15% off your first purchase. Trust me, you'll thank us. We are all multidimensional. You know, I used to feel pressure to kind of stay in one lane, but my friends are not confused, right? They're not like, hey, what are you doing, you know, cooking today? You just did yoga yesterday. Aren't you just the yoga girl? Like my friends understand, like I'm a multidimensional human, right? So why wouldn't the world understand that? Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, girls. Hello, guys. Well, we, this is Jamie. We are so excited to be here today with our guest. So Mara Schiavacampo is a four-time Emmy award-winning journalist, no big deal, who made her mark on shows like Good Morning America, but it was her personal journey to wellness that had the biggest impact on her life. And after losing 90 pounds and overcoming binge eating disorder, Mara found that wellness was her new passion especially after having her two adorable little kiddos and wanting to be the best role model possible. She's the author of the book, Inspired, a wellness-focused investigative correspondent on Dr. Oz, the host of the Trend Reporter podcast, and also has a new podcast venture to tell us about. She also happens to be one of my best friends, the person I call when I'm having a hashtag mom fail moment, or life is just gobbling me up, or I just need a yoga buddy. Please welcome my dear friend, Mara Schiavacampo. Hello, ladies. Yay. I just Hello. want to try to say your last name. I know. Go properly. Schiavocampo. That was very, very close. Schiavocampo. People get perfect. That was perfect. Best name ever. You know, growing up with it, I would have had to disagree, but it's grown on me. It's definitely distinctive. People don't forget it. Yay. All right, Megan, dive into our weekly catch-up because I'm, okay. I'm ready to talk. <laughs> so our weekly catch-up topic is quarantine intimacy. Um, this comes from the fact that I was a cosmopolitan, Cosmo editor for many years and happened to write uh, two sex books, um, which I take out for company once in a while just because. <laughs> um, but we also read you um, were quoted in the New York Post as saying that having orgasms has been a, a really um, powerful tool during the pandemic. You have said this to Lathan Thomas, who was a guest of our show on Monday. Right. So we just wanted to talk about the big O and the, uh, you know, sex star and intimacy during quarantine. You know, it's funny because I, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't mean it. And I, I said it, I meant it, but I didn't expect that to get press coverage because I was assuming that the post who I solicited coverage for that podcast episode, I assumed they were going to take what Lathan said about sex 
it never occurred to me that they were going to take what I had said. So when I saw the headline and the item, I like almost fell over. And my husband is getting all of these like virtual high fives, like messages from his buddies. And I was really, really embarrassed. I was mortified because I was prepared for it to be on my podcast in context. I was not prepared for it to be kind of isolated in that item. Oh, just in the New York Post. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those little sound bites out and using them just so. Tiny little publication that no one reads. Right. Um, But but once I kind of got over that initial embarrassment, you know, the thing is, it's nothing to be embarrassed about, right? And I have come to believe now as a 40-year-old woman, I'm a grown-ass woman, that orgasms are essential to wellness, right? So we should not be accepting an unfulfilling sex life. And and sex doesn't have to be partnered, right? You can have a fulfilling sex life by yourself. But I think the message that I was trying to get across is that this should be a priority. Like exercise, like sleep, like drinking enough water is sexual fulfillment. It's part of being a vibrant adult human. Oh, Put it on the to-do list. <laughs> well, yeah, I, and I really, I agree with that. So um, I, it's, this is actually really funny, ready? So I just kind of addressed this within my own household because I had realized that while I had been using quarantine very well in other respects, I had been really pursuing my hustle and my career and spending a lot of time with my kids. I would say that sex fell to the wayside, mostly because like we were more in charge of childcare than we usually are. We were more, you know, there was just more to do. I mean, even in the, in the context of like doing this podcast, all of a sudden you're the IT person, the lighting guy, the audio guy, like you're, Everything that you do became all you. And by the end of the day, I just lost my mojo. I lost my energy. I really wanted to get in bed at eight o'clock. And, you know, my husband, like we were feeling it as far as, because it's not just physical sex, it's intimacy. So I actually, I was researching this whole notion of yin yang the other day for an Instagram post. And I stumbled across this book and I ordered it. And it's on like yin, yin and yang and recharging your libido from kind of like a, a, a spiritual standpoint, a psychic energy standpoint, and really trying to like uncover um, your feminine energy. And I, because this is how I like approach things, right? If I feel like something's waning, I'm like, all right, read up, make a plan. Let's go. Yeah. But I feel like as fitness girls, which you all are, you know that nine times out of 10, or maybe it's just me, but I think a lot of people feel this way. You don't really feel like working out until you're in it. Right. You do it because, you know, there's so many reasons to do it, but you don't really feel it until you're in it. That's when you're ready to crush it right after the warm up and the sex. I feel like it's the same way. Like you have to make the effort. You got to make the effort to get into it. And then once you're into it, it's a good night. And the more <laughs> you morning. do it, the more you want to do it. Right. Like one yeah. time leads to two time leads to five times a week. It's just like that repetition. You prime your body to want more and more and more. And yeah, it's also it's during easy to forget how good you feel after. And it's not until you do it again that you're like, oh, why don't we do that every day? Right. <laughs> and it's also like your relationship, too. I think now we're also we're so on top of each other. So actually like being friends with your significant other and like actually enjoying each other's time and doing, you know, it's, it's about like being friends first and, and wanting to be together and not just saying like, Oh, you know, let's schedule some time for sex or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you have to, that all of that has to be there, I think for it to really work. So um, that's also been challenging too, because we're all here. We're together. We're doing all the things together, you know, all in one place working 
exercising, talking, watching TV, eating, and, you know, it's all in our home. So it's trying to make that time and different, you know, make it still everything exciting and, um, you know, want to share that with your, with your partner. Yeah. So are you guys spontaneous or do you schedule it? (laughs) We don't schedule it. Um, it generally ends up being like the same time just because it's convenient. Like when the kids have been, you know, put down and there's actually asleep and we started giving them melatonin gummies, um, which works so well because they stay asleep. So nobody's like knocking at the door when things are getting going, but I'm a big fan (laughs) and I've always been a huge fan of morning sex. Like both my kids were conceived that way. It's like my favorite thing in the world. So if we can ever like wake up before them or put them, you know, in the living room with the bowl of cereal and the iPads, like I'm always down to take advantage of the sun. Yeah. You <laughs> have to get on Jamie's and George's schedule with their like 4.30 a.m. wake ups. <laughs> Are you guys getting up at 4.30? Well, I always did. But like in quarantine, I'm, I'm sleeping longer because I don't have to get up that early because... It took the commute out of my workout. Yes. Now I don't like have to get to Barry's by like six. I can just do a class at eight and still be at work at nine, you know, because I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but like, I felt, I have felt guilty about sleeping so much more because of that. Right. I don't have to factor in commute time. I don't have to factor in getting dress time, but I had to remind myself like sleep is actually a huge part of health. And boosting your immune system, which is kind of important right now. So um, I kind of tr- I'm trying to let that guilt go because I'm probably sleeping till like eight every morning. And generally I'm up at like six, six thirty. That's great, though. And it's it is it, it changes your whole day. It, you're so much more productive. I feel like the energy is just, you know, it's times 10. And I think we need it. Yeah. Megan, I feel like you're like the best with the spontaneous sex. I got to say, like, I just got to say, being your friend, <laughs> I feel like you have like, you have a great giggly flirtatious outlook. And I got to say, like, I, I, I really admire it. I have to say, but, and we've come become like the uh, couple role models for our friends. I know my mother-in-law listens to the show, so I feel slightly uncomfortable about her <laughs> thinking about what I do to her son. Um, but I mean, you know, I think my husband's hot, you know, and maybe it's because I'm four years older and he's my brother's best friend and I've known him my whole life, but like he's gotten hotter in quarantine. Um, I know that if I wear shiny carbon 38 spandex, he can't resist me. What about your socks? Your socks. <laughs> likes it when I pull my socks up high after a bar class. We've been known to hide in the shed because it's risky. You know, I mean, like, but I mean, I, but again, it's like that thing, like once you keep doing it a lot, you just want it more a lot. It's the same way. Like I feel like crap if I don't exercise. I feel like crap if I don't get laid. Yeah. <laughs> But what I do want to say is that it doesn't have to be partnered sex, right? Even if you're in a relationship, sometimes, you know, sometimes you want a yoga class. Sometimes you want a boot camp class. Like sometimes you want to take the time to connect with your partner. And sometimes you just, you know, need to get it in and move on to the next thing. So I also really want to encourage people to talk and think about that a lot more is that I believe the priority is sexual fulfillment and connecting with your partner um, is a bonus. But sometimes that takes more work. And you may not have the energy that day for that. So consider your options. I love it. That's I think it's great. also good for your skin. Just FYI. It is. Yeah. And, and if you, there are studies that show that if you, as you decrease sexual frequency, it triggers menopause, right? 
because your body's not dumb. Your body's like, why am I wasting all this energy making eggs if you're not getting it in? So I'm like, okay, well, I want to stay menopause <laughs> off as long as possible, right? True, <laughs> so I want to so get many that 70. Benefits. What do I got to do? That's I have to get my numbers tip. up. <laughs> You may have just made my husband a very happy man today. Right, there you go. <laughs> All right, that's good. <laughs> All right, Heidi, what do we got for our topic today? Okay, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but let's go to the main topic. So listen, it's a common emotion to feel torn between your professional image and your private persona. For some, it's more pronounced than others. Maybe you're the buttoned-up lawyer who sets her Instagram to private because weekends are all about letting loose. Or maybe it's even deeper rooted than that. Sometimes our real self can feel at odds with our work self with regards to personality, political views, or lifestyle. So how do we draw a line? Should we try to merge them or is church and state the best bet? After Mara's incredible weight loss journey, her newfound passion for the wellness lifestyle fueled her, and she started to pivot in the way that she portrayed herself on social media and the projects that she took on professionally. Along the way, she struggled with conflicting feelings. Was she a serious journalist, or did she want to be a lifestyle expert and beacon of all things wellness? Many of us can relate to that feeling of being torn between our professional self and our personal persona and social media makes it that much more pronounced knowing every post could be viewed by your friends or your boss or your (laughs) (laughs) mother-in-law how do we balance the image that we put on for work with the image we put out there for the rest of the world to see mara help us dive in (laughs) please Uh, well you know it is something that I do still struggle with it to some degree. And what's important to me as a journalist is that I I have to still be able to go and cover certain things, right? So posting about Black Lives Matter is not remotely controversial to me because Black Lives Matter, right? That's a statement of fact. But if I had a, uh, a viewpoint on something that could be interpreted as controversial and I believe would affect my ability to then cover that objectively and credibly, that's kind of my line, right? So I don't want anyone to ever go back through tweets and say, oh, you said X about this. And so why are you covering? There's a conflict there. Um, other than that, I really feel like the times have changed to where people expect to see the authentic you at all times, in all ways. So if you have your account that's a private, fine. But if you have a public account, people expect to see you. And we are all multidimensional. That's kind of what I've come down on. You know, I used to feel pressure to kind of stay in one lane, but my friends are not confused, right? They're not like, hey, what are you doing, you know, cooking today? You just did yoga yesterday. Aren't you just the yoga girl? Like my friends understand, like I'm a multidimensional human, right? So why wouldn't the world understand that? Um, and what I've struggled with more than anything is like the oversharing, which, and I hate to use the term young people because I still think of myself mm. as young, but like when I go... <laughs> When I go on Venmo to pay someone and I see all these public payments, I'm like horrified by that. I'm like, you're showing everybody how much you're getting and spending. But like really nothing is off limits now. And I want to change with the world, right? I don't want to be a dinosaur. So I'm like, okay, well, let me get on board with this because this is, this is the way people communicate now. And I'd like that you recently on Instagram, you put, you opened it up to your audience. You asked them on one of your posts a little further back. You were saying, you know, are you liking this mix of beauty and these? 
these fun tips and fashion or, you know, what do you guys want to see from me? And that's nice too, to open it up and bring that conversation. And I think for the most part, they were answering, I was looking through some of the answers. They, they like the mix and they like getting your refreshing beauty tips. And, um, you know, it's, it's a nice break sometimes. Yeah, the, the beautiful thing about, you know, you guys all know this. I mean, the beautiful thing about the time we're in right now is kind of, there's no wall, right? So there's so much dialogue. And I've learned so much about, um, and I consider it the audience of television because I feel like a lot of the people who are following me have seen me on television. And so they're, they are the TV audience. And there was a time for all of TV, you know, where you never communicate with your audience. You talked at them only. And now it's really a conversation. And I've learned so much and so many ideas about what I do come directly from them. When I'm getting like 10 DMs about my eyebrows, I'm like, wait, oh, people, oh my God, my first my thought eyebrows? was how great your eyebrows are. <laughs> Your eyes oh, Megan, never incredible. occurred to me. Megan, you have to see her like time lapse tutorials of how to do her makeup. But that's the whole point, right? You could be a serious journalist who does a fierce face of makeup. And I can love watching how you cover a topic and still be curious about how you look beautiful. It doesn't, it doesn't take away from your authenticity as a journalist or your ability to do your job. You know, it's interesting. I found myself in this battle many times. I, of course, was, you know, a pretty high level publicist for 20 years prior to doing the wellness influencer thing. And I actually represented one of the top fast food brands, as you may remember. Um, I did, you know, like their experiential and celebrity marketing and stuff. But I was also making my name as a wellness influencer, and it was a bit divergent and contradictory, but I always used to say, I don't need to be their customer to be a good marketer for them because I'm good at what I do, period. Now, what do you think about that, though? Because some people might say I'm not living my authentic life or that that is really, you know, living as, you know, in a falsehood. I think as long as you can explain it and you feel um, really authentic about that explanation, that it is your truth. I'm unapologetic about my truth, right? That doesn't mean like if I, if I hurt someone, I would feel very badly about that. And I would want to kind of open my mind and figure out what went wrong there. But aside from hurting people, I'm like unapologetic about my truth. So if I can say to someone, Hey, this is my job and I'm serving my client well, which is what you would want if you were paying me. And in my personal life, I'm making different decisions and there's no conflict there. Then I think people would accept that. You know, it's not like you're, Selling marketing cigarettes to children is something that's like really like, well, how can you do that as a human and a mother? I mean, you know, people have choices in what they eat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree with all that, but it's fascinating because we were talking a little bit about this last week uh, on a weekly catch up on an episode we just recorded with a very serious doctor. And with, for example, doctors, it's like a lot of them feel that if they're in academia and behind research and all that, that they would lose all credibility if they go on social or go on a TV show or like, I think that a lot of them that I've spoken to sort of feel like, well, Dr. Oz is Dr. Oz and there's no in between. You're either a joke or you're respected. And so it's it's interesting that because I think that the field matters too, right? Yes, I would agree a hundred percent. You get that a lot from experts. So I have this time this difficulty with experts all the time, right? You're talking to a lawyer, you're talking to an academic, you're trying to do an interview that the average person will understand, and they cloud it with all this jargon, right? And you're trying to get them to simplify it, and they won't. And the reason they won't is because they're worried about what their peers will think. And that is, I think, a prison that all of us can identify with, right? Regardless of who your peers are, this fear of judgment from the community that whose judgment you value. 
And so you get that a lot with experts. So, but you get it a lot with the average person too. They're worried about what their friends are going to think. You know, I was talking to this woman, she's 24 and she really touched me because she wanted to do more influencer, like fitness content. And she's living that life, right? She's, she's a very, she's very committed to her her wellness. And she was like, well, I'm afraid my friends are going to make fun of me. They're going to say like, Oh God, is she trying to be a fitness influencer now? And I felt for her because that is a prison. Right. Mm -hmm. If you are making your life's decisions based on other people's opinions, that's a prison. And I I wish everyone freedom from that prison. Mara, can I diverge a bit? Because I like I've actually been on Dr. Oz with you. I think the last time we all saw you was dance party at Dr. Oz's. And you were killing it. Can I be dropping like it's hot? Right. That's how we roll. But something I didn't know about you, I didn't know your background with binge eating disorder and how you came to the wellness industry and came to fitness. Uh, Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. It's actually a much easier topic for you to talk right? about. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, no there's no legal gag. Right. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. yeah, how did that start for you? And what was the journey like? Um, you know, it started after my daughter was born. She's eight now, so I can always chart my journey by her age. And I wanted to lose baby weight. And so it was the first time in my life where I was approaching weight gain, because I'd gained weight from being pregnant. And weight loss without any shame because I just had a baby, right? So, of course, I gained weight and, of course, now I have to lose it. So, that really freed me um, in a way that I didn't expect, that I was looking at the problem without blaming myself for it and, and having it be a reflection of my weakness or my laziness or all of the things that I told myself prior. And when I was able to look at it from a really clear perspective, I realized Like there are certain foods that I'm using as drugs. So I can be great, you know, 40, 50, 60% of the time. But if I'm having a bender, if you will, um, every week or multiple times a week, I'm never going to be successful in this goal. And so what are the foods that I'm using as a drug? And I made a list and it was a very honest list. And I told myself, okay, I'm going to eliminate those things for 40 days. It's going to be kind of like a detox. Um, I did not lose weight in those 40 days, which surprises a lot of people because I was substituting, right? I was filling with other things. It was like volume, volume, volume. Like, so I'm going to eat like 10 apples because I can't have any cookies and I'm agitated and this is difficult. Um, but what it did do was give me a lot of clarity about the way that I abuse food. And that was really the beginning of the journey for me. Hi, I'm Jamie from Off the Gram. Launching a podcast is a lot of work. Luckily, Gotham Podcast Studio has everything you need to get started. Whether you just need an hour of recording time or a jumpstart with full-service production, Gotham Podcast Studio offers high-quality audio and video recording, reduced membership rates, podcast hosting services, and much more. All from their studio located in the heart of Manhattan. Visit GothamPodcastStudio.com for more information. Now, back to the show. So many people don't realize, I'm sorry, Megan, that binge eating disorder really runs the same pathway in the brain as drug addiction. And, you know, this is Jamie talking, you know, I have a history um, of addiction, of alcoholism. I've spoken about this before. And so we really related on that level. And I really get it. I actually worked with, you may remember Brad Lamb, who is uh, an addiction and binge eating disorder specialist. He runs the Breathe Life Healing Center in California. And I learned so much. And he said that some of his most 
honorary patients, the, the people that come into his treatment center and have the hardest time with their detox are his binge eating disorder patients. Coming off of sugar is harder than coming off of cocaine or heroin. I, yeah. I agree about the sugar Heidi as someone who had to cut sugar as part of my like get pregnant journey because um, of candida. It's no joke. Food is drug. Food is medicine, but it's also like, you know, and it can be good used for good and bad. And it's, it's really hard. And it's also, I've heard somebody, a doctor say, um, that, you know, it's one thing to give up something like, I mean, alcohol obviously is pervasive in our culture or cocaine or something, but when, you know, you go to rehab and have support and all those things, like you don't have to drink alcohol or ingest cocaine or drugs to survive, but you do need to eat food to survive every day. So it's a very, it's a, it's a very other level addiction. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the unique mind fuck because every time you sit down to eat, right, you have choices to make. Am I allowed to curse? Oh yeah. We'll yes, put the little E. Usually I get everybody the E, but thank you, Mara. Now it's not on. Thank you for opening it up. So, um, you know, every time you sit down to eat, you have choices to make. Like if you are recovering from alcoholism, um, you clear your house of alcohol. You can try to avoid gatherings that you know are going to be centered around alcohol. There, there's a lot of avoidance that you can practice. And with food, it's very, very different because every time you sit down to eat, you have choices. And if you're making those choices from a stressed, anxious, uh, depressed, sad place, you're going to make the wrong choices. And then that triggers these these terrible cycles. So um, it's it, I mean, it's a real thing. It's not, and, and people, you know, when I talk about this, so many people connect with it because so many people are struggling with it. You know, in our society, food is so abundant and the most addictive food is the cheapest and most accessible. And so that's what most what many people turn to as their drug. We have a lot of functioning drug addicts out there and food is their drug. Mm-hmm. And now, right, with everybody using food almost as a comfort and a crutch and, you know, during this time of everyone baking, we interviewed Michelle Promoluco, um, and her sugar free, sugar three, sugar free, wait, why am I getting like <laughs> three? Sugar free three, um, book, but it, it's just so fascinating how you just, you know, you take one little, one little bite and then you're kind of hooked. And Jeannie, I know you say with the pineapple, you, you limit yourself to a few pineapples a night or a few slices of pineapples a night because that's your sugar, um, high, I guess, right? Well, once I take the lid off of yeah. whatever the Pandora's box is for me, like if there's something that p- pineapple I'm okay with, I can actually moderate it. That's why I have it for my dessert every night. Sometimes I go crazy on it, but mm-hmm. I, but it's okay. Like I don't, I don't beat myself up for it. But if I were to do that with like what I used to eat, I'm not going to say the brand because I still, I love them. And I, but like, all right, I'll just say the fact. Like those big Lenny and Larry's cookies. Those, that's big bro- yes. <laughs> those big bro- I mean, God love them, but maybe some people can handle them just like some people can maybe handle a rum and coke. Mm-hmm. If I have a rum and coke, I'm probably going to have six and I might get some cocaine. Okay, let's be yeah. honest. That's why, <laughs> that's why I have not drank or done drugs in well over a decade because I don't have the ability to put the cap back on. Same with a 400 calorie cookie. Because not only did I not need to eat the whole thing, because by the way, that's two servings. I may have two or six. I don't know when it's going to stop. And the same thing we were talking about with sex. Once you have what, you know, once you open up a door and you take the lid off, you want it more and you want it more. So for me, that's something that I have to keep really managed the same way uh, an addict manages that type of addiction. So I'll be honest on a very deep level to tomorrow on this. I'm a recovered anorexic and spent, you know, three years in and out of the hospital and my best friend died of a tandem eating disorder. And 
binge eating, the flip side of it is really was always really, really terrifying to me. I was hospitalized with the binge because that was my worst nightmare was that I would start to eat and wouldn't be able to stop. Um, and I clearly have a lot of strategies in place and haven't been sick in 20 years. But what are some of the strategies that you have in place and the tips and tricks on a daily basis that you employ to stay healthy and strong? You know, I'll say, first of all, um, and I'm very, I try to be very transparent about my journey. I am not cured. I will never be cured, right? In the same way that Jamie, you would probably agree. Like you said, if you have a dream today and, you know, so, so these are things that we struggle with lifelong. And right now I'm really, really struggling because of quarantine. So I, I notice these things that are happening where I'll eat M&Ms, right? I don't like chocolate. So I'm like stopping and saying like, why don't you just eat a whole bag of peanut M&Ms? You don't even like chocolate. Like on a regular day, they could be, they could be, uh, you know, a, a truckload of them in your living room. You wouldn't want one. So it's trying to have the awareness of what my actions mean. And that was something I didn't have early in life. Um, so I have that awareness now, uh, doing like what Jamie said, you know, understanding that your triggers are never isolated, right? If I could eat one cookie, I wouldn't have a problem. Mm-hmm. So people who say, Oh, well, in moderation, just eat in moderation and just have one cookie or just have the half of a cup of ice cream. If I could do that, I wouldn't have been 230 pounds. Mm-hmm. So reminding myself that this is not one cookie. This could be four days of binging. Mm -hmm. So that's the decision you're making. You're not making the decision to have one momentary indulgence. You're making the decision to to trigger an entire binge. Um, So there's a lot of self-talk involved. And also I found that one of my biggest triggers is being sleepy. So when I'm really tired, um, I'm much more susceptible to a binge. So I really, really try to force myself to lie down wherever I am. It's almost like you break glass in case of emergency, right? When I'm feeling that urge for a binge, it's like, let me stop what I'm doing. Just close my eyes and just try to sleep. Like, really, let me try to fall asleep for 10, 15, 20 minutes because that's what's going to save me right now. Um, so it's just a lot of self-awareness and trying to treat what's actually bothering you because I treat food like the pill for everything, right? But food's not going to make me less sleepy. A nap is going to make me less sleepy. So mm-hmm. let me try to address the problem. And sometimes we're that. thirsty. Like sometimes I know Jamie, you, you make sure to chug your water, but a lot of times it's I'm I if I think I'm you know like craving certain things, it's like a huge glass of water that I need or a big drink of you know just to fuel my body. And a lot of times you don't even realize you're eating. You know if you, if you're doing it while you're working or you're if you're busy or you're stressed out, you know you could eat a whole half a sandwich and look down at your plate and be like. Did I even eat that? You know, what, what's going on? Why are we not paying attention and being more mindful about what we're eating and when we're doing it? And, you know, we used to, I remember back when I was younger, we would sit down at the table and eat and, you know, have mealtime. No devices. Like yeah. And I feel like now it's just, you know, eat on the go or eat while you're watching TV and you don't even realize it. But if we maybe sat down and enjoyed it and really took the time to taste the food and enjoy the food, it could be more of a pleasant relationship rather than just, you know, shoving it in. <laughs> I feel like that was something at Mara at your talk at Jamie's mindful mama event when she was at the end of her pregnancy with Asher. So like more than a year ago at this point, yeah. oh my oh. gosh, I feel like that's something you talked about, like uh, appreciating what was in your mouth. Yeah. Um, and, but also with the, with the right foods, right? So right. I know that, uh, and I just made the salad yesterday and it was amazing. It was spinach, baby spinach, quinoa cold on top, uh, sweet potato, cold, mm. half avocado, and a piece of grilled salmon with this mango vinaigrette dressing, right? 
-hmm. that salad, I loved it and it loved me, right? (laughs) When I was done, I was full, I was satisfied and I didn't want to like eat 10 more. It didn't make me crazy. So it's really appreciating the foods that love you back. So identifying what those are and loving them because I love food. I love to cook. Like, let me throw some lobsters on the grill with some butter, like all that. I love it. But those foods are not going to make me crazy. So they love me back. So it's trying to be in a really positive relationship, not in abusive relationships because cookies are going to beat my ass. Right. And I don't want to get my ass beat all the time. So I'm going to stay away from that. (laughs) So how do you manage that type of decision making with not getting stressed? Because obviously, like most people at this point know that the stress stress releases cortisol hormone, which causes you to gain weight. It's so bad for your body. So the stress of thinking about like what you shouldn't eat or whatever, as opposed to like focusing on what you you can, what makes you feel good, what fuels you. How did you flip that in your head? Well, at this point, I have very clear guidelines. So I basically avoid anything white, white flour, white potatoes, white rice. Um, I also avoid wine because I can just drink too much too fast. And basically, your body just treats it like sugar, right? So I do drink, I drink liquor. And the reason I drink liquor is because it's like a speed bump, right? It'll take me 45 minutes to finish one drink where in that same time, I would have polished off half a bottle of wine, if not the whole bottle. So those are my boundaries. And they actually make life quite simple when you take categories of food out as opposed to specifics. And the reason I chose those things is not arbitrary. Those are the things that I find trigger binges. And so it's much easier for me just not to start than to try to test those boundaries over and over again. I've I've accepted my limitations. I just love the positive relationship to wellness and like, cause that's where we get right in the beginning. It starts off from a place of restriction on some level because you have to detox. You have to unlearn the behaviors and that part sucks. But once we get over that hump, then it all gets so good. Like fitness is fun and, and healthy cooking is fun. And I've loved watching your journey. Your two pregnancies were so different. So How, different. Yeah. So can you tell us about that? <laughs> so different. Um, and this to me was just my body confirming, like you give me what I need and I'm going to give you what you need. My first pregnancy with my daughter, I never, I didn't exercise at all. It was very much, um, you know, I hadn't changed my habits at all. I ate jalapeno chips every single day of my pregnancy with her. I I baked like a crazy person. I mean, every single night. What people are doing now, I did that for nine months. Banana bread, cookies, cupcakes, cakes, um, fried chicken, uh, macaroni and cheese. I remember looking at a recipe I had created for macaroni and cheese like years later. And I said, that must be wrong. There's no way I was using like literally three cups of heavy cream. Like I must have wrote that down wrong. And then I tried to recreate it with skim milk. And I was like, no, I wrote that down right. Cause that macaroni and cheese was amazing. And this is not right. <laughs> so I was just, you know, eating whatever I wanted. And my, my delivery was fine. Um, I remember being so swollen. I actually would love to send you a picture of this. If you can post it like in stories or something when this episode comes out, I don't think people would believe how swollen I was. I look like a corpse, right? My feet were like two sizes bigger than they are now, but just from swelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was just not cute. 
my labor and delivery was fine. I had an epidural. It was about 12 hours. Um, the recovery, I remember, took like a day or two before I felt like I could walk around and really felt comfortable. Compare that to my son four years later. Right now, I lost all the weight. Um, I have a completely different relationship with food and with fitness. I exercise every single day with him up until the day before he was born. I remember the last song I wrote to at Soul Cycle before he was born. It was Proud Mary. And I feel like Proud Mary is the reason I went into labor. It's <laughs> a good song. Um, and I had really good habits the whole time. My son was born three hours beginning to end from first contraction to the moment he came out completely natural. It happened so fast that I didn't have time to get an epidural. I would have liked one, but I didn't have time. Left my house at 5 a.m. He was born at 5.33 a.m. I was still standing up in the hospital when he came out. We hadn't even finished our admission paperwork. My husband was in the hallway filling it out, and this baby shoots out of me. <laughs> After, and like, it was like that. It was like the flash. Like <laughs> After he comes out, I get cleaned up. You know, of course, you snuggle, you do the skin to skin, you swallow them, they get settled. And I got dressed. I touched my face so we could take some pictures. I sat in the chair, looked like a chair like this. And I'm sitting in the chair talking to my husband. And there's a shift change with the nurses. The new nurse comes into the room. She looks around and she goes, where's the mother? And I said, I'm the mother. <laughs> and she goes, you just had a baby? Like, it was so, my recovery was non-existent it was like as soon as he came out i was like i could have done a yoga class right then and there and for me it felt like my body was confirming to me you gave me what i needed for nine months and so now i'm going to give you what you need and it's a quick recovery and a quick easy labor and delivery that's absolutely amazing and so inspiring and because um so this is heidi speaking um because you mentioned yoga I have to ask, because I've been wondering this ever since you started talking like about your whole journey, it was yoga, practicing yoga by chance, part of what helped you connect inward and understand your body's needs? Because it was for me, it was a huge thing for me. So I was just curious if that was a part of it. Um, there's been, there are a few things in life that have been as transformative for me as yoga. Um, and I know, I mean, I think everybody here will understand that. And if there's somebody listening who has not had any experience with it, I strongly encourage you to try because yoga for me, I expected it to be a workout. And what I learned was that it was all mental, right? Um, it gave me so much clarity. Uh, I don't really know how it works. You probably have a much better explanation <laughs> as to why it does that, right? It gave me so much clarity on life. You know, I go into a class confused or stressed or whatever the case may be, and I would come out with so much um, clarity and perspective. I do a lot of yoga by myself um, at night. I go into a room. I turn off all the lights. I put on candles, and it just allows me to connect with myself. And um, I've learned so many lessons on the mat. Like, I remember the first time I did an inversion it was my first time ever seeing the world upside down. Mm. And I thought like, wow, this is so cool. Like here I am a grown up. I was like 35 and I'm seeing the world in a new way for the first time ever. Like that's beautiful. So it's, it's a gift that I treasure. I love it. I think, I think it also isn't disconnected from like our like overarching topic of like reconciling your professional and private life. Because when you tap in, and listen and give yourself the space to hear and feel your body's needs. I think that also helps you be very clear on 
who you are and what's important to you. And so that allows for you to be your authentic self in every situation. Would you maybe agree with that? <laughs> no, I would absolutely agree. I mean, I'm, and you just articulated something that I, I want to ask you about. Like, is that what it is? <laughs> is it is it that we're just taking the time to listen to our bodies? Like, like what is the, the magic sauce that, you know, you feel after after you've done a, a yoga class? Well, I mean, I think that's a hundred percent that, I mean, it's, you know, yoga, the Sanskrit word means union, right? That's what it translates to in English. And you're unifying your mind and your body, your heart, your soul, you're unifying all of you with the universe, with yourself. And, you know, most people are like, well, my brain says this and my heart says this. It's like, no, 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 it's all one. So if you give yourself the space to get quiet and also it's to be, it's that part. And it's also a bit of being in the present moment. Right. Because when you're on your mat and you're focusing on your breath or you're attaching the breath to movement, your brain doesn't get to go all over the place like it does at other times. So that's when not only are you connecting in, you're getting quiet, but you're also not like worrying or you're not stressing. So it gives your your brain the space to tell you what's actually happening. Mm, so it's. That. So can I ask one more question? Because it really is very in line with, with that notion. Mara, if somebody's struggling to find their passion, like, what do you suggest? Like, were there any exercises that you did? I know that you and I have talked about using life coaches. Is that helpful? Not helpful? I found it helpful. Um, mine was more of kind of like a, an executive coach that also was kind of woo-woo and spiritual. So I liked that. Are there any exercises that you did to help you kind of find your way? Uh, you mean passion in life or mm-hmm. in, yeah. in wellness? Yeah. Um, here's here's the thing about life's passions. I think that we all know them. We just don't listen. We talk ourselves out of it for so many reasons. We talk ourselves out of it because it's not what our parents wanted for our lives, because other people might judge us, because it's hard. So you look at the road ahead and you're like, oh, I don't know if I measure up. Can I compete at that in that space? Um, I think most people don't have trouble knowing what their passions are. They have trouble following it. And so, I mean, you ask any person what in your heart of hearts is your passion. They're going to have an answer for you like that. Then there's a whole other conversation about why you're not doing that. But they, we know, we all know. Don't you all know what your passions in life are, what you're passionate about? And I think right now, even though it's a difficult time, I think a lot of people are tapping into that maybe a little bit more if they have the time to do that um, and finding that there is a silver lining in in quarantine and, and trying to, you know, look inward. Um, I know that I've heard a few friends of mine say, look, I didn't even know this was happening. I was just, you know, working on some side, my side hustle and, and you know, quarantine just helped light that fire a little bit. So um, there's something good coming of it that maybe some people are finding the time to do that and say, you know what, why not? What, what do I have to lose at this point? So give it a shot. And then they're finding that that's easier than they thought it would be. So maybe there's something said to be said for that. Yeah. We talk ourselves out of a lot. Yeah. You know, we all do it, but yeah. it's a shame. It is a shame, but I guess one more question from Heidi. Um, what do you think gave you the, like, I think it would be easy for somebody listening to this podcast or watching it or seeing your picture or seeing you to be like, eh, she's a famous journalist. Like, what does she have to lose? Of course she can make those decisions, you know? Like, obviously you busted your butt to get where you are, but like, you know, people like to ignore that as we all know, because <laughs> they're like, oh, she's just lucky. Oh, you know, you know, so. Yeah. So what would you have to say to somebody who, like, 
what's your best advice to give for like courage to make those moves, courage to be yourself? Like what sort of advice or tip might you give them? You know, courage is a big thing for me. I actually have it tattooed on the back of my neck. Um, And the reason I have the word courage tattooed on the back of my neck is because I'm often fearful, right? Nobody gets courage tattooed on them if they feel brave. And so what I think everybody needs to realize is that even people who are behaving in the bravest way are very afraid. The, the thing about courage is that it doesn't mean you're not afraid. It means you act despite fear. And that's my commitment to myself. I am afraid of a lot of things. I am afraid of a lot of things that I post. I am afraid of a lot of things that I say and do, but my commitment to myself is to do them anyway, because I always want to like kick fear in the face. Like it, fear does not get a vote. That's one of my big mottos. I can feel it, but it's not going to cast a vote. And it's definitely not going to get veto power. So take heart in the fact that we're a lot of us are scared, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you don't do it. You, you just push past it. And the more you do it, the more you get used to it and the more pleasure you take out of kicking fear in the face. I love Literally that so much. There's all going to use that quote. <laughs> right. Oh, thank you so much, Mara. That was so perfect. Uh, I really, I mean, I think that was a very inspiring note to end on. We want to also end with, we have two quick things that we do. So I'm going to ask you our lightning round questions and they're, they're, they're kind of goofy, but I I think I actually know your answers being your friend, but let's see if I'm right. (laughs) Okay. Ready? I'm ready. Lightning round. Number one, morning or evening workout? Morning. All right. What is your favorite workout? Spin, soul cycle. I, uh, yeah. And I have the bike. Wait, look. <gasps> you do? Oh, I'm so I jealous. <laughs> oh. been, the only reason I'm sane right now is because of that bike. Otherwise, Aww. I would have gone. And you're wearing yellow. I feel like you're I still know. on, on soul cycle brand. And I also have, like, right here is the crystal. I have, like, the purple crystal. <gasps> I put it next to the bike. <laughs> you're all set up. I, I need I, it. I'm coming over. <laughs> I know. I'm like, can I come too? <laughs> mask, mask, mask. Yeah, mask. Okay, <laughs> finally, coffee, tea, or matcha? Ooh, espresso. Ooh. Triple espresso, like medicine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right, our very last segment is called Karma Call. <gasps> Megan just says it's so great. Um, but I'm a yogi, so I explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our incredible, inspiring guests, you, um, what is one actionable item that you would give all of our listeners very small change they could make on like a daily basis to make a huge impact? It could be drinking water first thing in the morning, something, you know, it doesn't have to be complex, but your favorite. Uh, I call it prayer, but you can call it whatever you want. It is stating your intentions, making clear what you want. And the reason for that is how can you be grateful for something you haven't asked for? So the beautiful part about that is when it happens, then you get a moment of rejoicing that you can hopefully savor for years and years to come. I, I write down my wins so I can look back on them and feel good about them for years. So you will never have those moments if you're not specific about what you want. At, write it down every day. What do you want? So when it happens, you can celebrate. 
Love that so much. Can I just go to the Mars Gave a Compo School of Life? I know. I know. <laughs> Can we talk like, to you every day? Yeah. 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 Wait, wait. I want to say it right, though. We are a compo. Come on, back in. Skiing avocado. That's what I always tell people. Skiing avocado. Skiing avocado. Ski avo. Ah, got it. Ah, it's all clear now. I'm really good at butchering pronunciations. You're not alone. You're in very good company. I can't wait till the day we can all get together um, in real life. And, and we're going to have another Dr. dance party. I would love that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to go up against you guys. Because like, you ladies, Oh, no, not against. With. 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 We will oh, drop we need to do like a team, like a squad. Oh, yes. 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 We need to put this. We need to put that video footage on our IG stories for like a throwback after this episode airs because yeah. it was actually it was epic. It was, it was I mean it's Fat Man Scoop on the mic, but it that sure was. was. That was it crazy. Was. I came home, I was like ear to ear smiling and glowing for that whole night. My husband's like, where did you go? <laughs> You're like a dance party with Dr. Oz. And even yeah. George danced with us. Yeah. yeah. yeah he did. All I was right. thinking about George yesterday. You know why I was thinking about him? This is so funny. I needed gum and I was like <laughs> Do you have any gum? And he's like, no, I don't even need gum, but I have mouth spray. So he gave me his mouth spray. And the reason I was thinking of it is because I'm like, will that ever happen again? Like in a post-COVID oh, world, will anyone ever right. share their mouth spray with me again? Hopefully, Mara, we will always share our mouth spray with you. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining in today and listening. We love you all. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can listen to it anywhere podcasts are consumed. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. That, that was, was awesome. so fun. Thank you.